Well, I once came across an ad, and it caught my eye. It was called The Best Boutique Pet Products, all about pampering uh, your pet. So did you know, for example, that you can buy actual doggy sunglasses? Uh, these are far more than just for looks. They're even shatterproof, and they have UV protection, so they're the real thing. Uh, there's also the Yard in a Box Indoor Pet Loo, basically an indoor toilet complete with fake grass. Of course, you can get dazzling doggy jewelry, and it seemed to me that the latest craze at the time when I read that was Bell Aqua Fizzy Mineral Water for Pets. Okay. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with loving your pet, nothing wrong with even pampering your pet at times, and try to tell my kids anything different when we go to Pet Burn. Uh, but these boutique pet products are a good example of how we seem to have no lack of things to spend our money on. All we have to do is turn on our TV, or we go to the mailbox, or usually, well, the junk mail, you know, or open our inbox or our Facebook feed, and we'll find someone telling us the latest thing that we need. I use that word exactly. It's always a need, isn't it, all of these products? I wish I could say that I was immune. I'm not immune. All I need is one email from a guitar shop or similar or browse the internet in one of the gear forums, and minutes later, I have a wish list that looks like that. My birthday is coming up, by the way, everyone next month, okay? Um, but everywhere we look, someone is telling us what we can spend our money on. But you know what's missing in all of that? Being told how to spend our money, being told how to give, how to be generous. As followers of Jesus, we need to know how giving and generosity fit into our life. I mean, how do we decide how much to give? to the church or to Christian causes or other good causes or to gospel work. Well, today we're going to look at, as you see there on the screen, we're going to look at a little bit of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and I believe this is one of the clearest passages in Scripture to help us think through this sort of thing, to think about giving and generosity. So let me give you a little background as we get into this. In this part of the Bible... At this time in history, the Apostle Paul was collecting money from churches in the Mediterranean area so that they could donate to the poor and struggling church in Jerusalem. So it was basically a big church-wide, area-wide collection that was happening. And here he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's asking about the money they had promised, and he's encouraging them to give to the cause as they said that they would. And as we explore his words, there are five principles that we can take away as we think about our own generosity and giving. And so we're going to take those five principles and we're going to use them to answer the question, how should we give? And the first answer is that we should give deliberately. We should give deliberately. So look with me, please, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, first four verses. And again, I've got the Bible verses on screen today. Um, but feel free to look along in the Bibles as well. So Paul writes to them, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. 
So the Macedonian churches, they were in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And we know that they were very, very challenged. The Christians there, they knew poverty and suffering and persecution. But look at how they're described. Despite their sufferings, in joy they gave generously and even beyond their ability. Nobody had to beg them to give, but they took the initiative and they pleaded for the privilege of sharing with Christian brothers and sisters. These were churches that didn't let anything get in the way of giving to the work of the gospel, not even extreme poverty and trials. They didn't let hardship become an excuse, but instead they saw opportunity. And I think today's Australian churches can learn from them because we can ask ourselves, well, am I looking for reasons not to give or reasons to give? Is giving something that I have to do or is it something that I want to do? And the reason why the Macedonians could act this way brings us to our second answer. We should give remembering what Jesus has done for us. We should give remembering what Jesus has done for us. Have a look at verse 5 with me, please, the next verse. Paul goes on to say, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Nobody expected these churches to be able to give because they were so poor. But in giving themselves wholeheartedly to Christ first, they found that they could contribute. Their love for Jesus poured out into or over into active love for his people. And we see the same thing if we move on to verses 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I can't make you give, but I'm right in comparing you to the Macedonians because you have the same gospel. He reminds them that the blessings that they know as Christians, their new life, their eternal hope, that came at a great price because the richest one became poor so that we could become rich in him. See, Jesus existed in glory, surrounded by a worshiping heavenly host. But yet to save us, God the Son, God of the universe, was born in a manger to a poor family. Completely human, grew up as a boy, he knew hurts, he knew scraped knees. When he became an adult, he worked very, very hard for a living. And then when he moved into his earthly ministry in the last few years of his life, he was persecuted and poor, and he was constantly on the move. In fact, if we stand back from Jesus really in the gospel stories, he's a homeless itinerant preacher. That's what he's doing in his ministry. And eventually his enemies had him arrested and trumped up charges. But he was spat upon and mocked and beaten to within an inch of his life, and then he was nailed to a cross. And he died what was probably one of the most undignified and painful deaths that, that anyone can have. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for the Macedonians and for the Corinthians and for us. The God of the universe suffered and died for us. Epping Presbyterian Church, every one of the blessings that we know and enjoy in our lives and in this church come from his humility. The Son of God became completely poor unto death for our sakes. And so the simple point here is that the way we give shows who 
who our God is, how we understand him? Are we generous because we know how generous God has been to us? When we consider our giving, do we stop to think about how much we have been given? Do we remember that God didn't hold anything back when reaching out to us? So that's the second way of giving. As people who are changed by the gospel. As people who love the church because they know that Jesus bought it with his blood. As people who realize that our spirituality and our wealth are not in two separate pockets. So that's number two. We move on to our third answer. We give with an eye to equality. We give with an eye to equality. Uh, please look with me, please, at verses 13 to 15. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Giving is not done to drain one person or one church so that another gets all the money. That's not how it works. To loosely rephrase Paul here, uh, what he's saying is what goes around comes around. God wants us to be generous, to benefit those in need, and then eventually those who are in need might become better resourced and they themselves become a helping church. Basically, wealth is to be spread. That's the picture here. I saw this in action when I was a poor Bible college student. Uh, whenever I had lunch or coffee with my minister at that time, and we all know who that minister was, uh, he never allowed me to spend a single cent. Even though many times I tried to whip up my wallet first and say, I'm going to pay, uh, he, he never, never let me pay. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. And so I asked him once, I said, why won't you let me pay, ever? And he answered that it was his time to pay while I was needy and while he had money but that he expected me to be generous to those within my care in the future. What goes around comes around. Do we give with an eye to equality? Do we give with an attitude that I want to build up that person, that ministry, or that church that I'm giving to, so they can be generous in turn, so that we're all equipped, we all share in doing gospel ministry? Let's get practical here. On a church level, are we actually looking for poorer churches or needy ministries or people in want so that we can simply build them up? Do we have an attitude? Well, we want to share what we have so we're not the only ones who are well off. Or we can think about this in personal terms. While we might also want to give personally to missionaries or to other causes or, or Christian ministries, and I think it's great when we do that. Okay, we want to keep doing that. But I believe as well each Christian should contribute generously to their own church so that that church can be a doer, a doer of gospel ministry and a giver to those in need. Are we giving with an eye to equality so that it's not just us personally who are resourced, but that resources are shared and spread across the church and its ministries and the wider church? Again, that's the picture that Paul is painting here. Fourth principle. The fourth one here answers the question 
of how much to give then. That's the one that's often asked by people. You know, let's get practical. How much do I give? Well, we read here that we should give generously according to our means and heart. We give generously according to our means and heart. So we're going to jump over to chapter 9 now for the next bit and look at verses 6 and 7. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How much do we give? Generously. There is no dollar amount. It's determined by what our hearts convict us to give. Now, this might surprise you because for a long time, churches have talked about tithing. You know, the idea that we set apart 10% of our money for the church or for our giving. But in my opinion, working with tithing as the only way of handling our money like that is actually not the best way to do it. Let me tell you why. The Bible doesn't actually say a whole lot about tithing when we come to the New Testament. It's primarily an Old Testament thing. And Jesus doesn't say now that tithing itself is bad, but when he speaks about it, it's mainly something that was abused at the time by the religious leaders. Uh, Their problem was that strict tithing led them to an attitude of, well, I've done my duty, look at how good I am. But the issue for them and for us is that that doesn't hit the mark. The question is, where are our hearts in our giving? Plus, tithing comes with other challenges. Uh, One is that it can leave us inflexible to respond to extra needs when they come up. Another is that it can put a pure dollar value on giving. And so if we meet that figure, we can be in danger of thinking that we've earned brownie points with God. Sometimes it can mean for a person making a subtle assumption. Well, God, that means this 10% is yours, but this 90% then is all mine. But none of these attitudes are right. Everything we own belongs to God. We're simply stewards of the things that he has given us and has trusted to us. So we should use our resources to bring glory and honor to him. Besides, another thing that's overlooked is that the 10% tithe was just the start of what was expected from the Israelites. There were other expenses, like the temple tax, the cost of the sacrifices themselves, and the gleanings from their crops. I heard one preacher say, and he, you know, working all this together, he said, when you add it up, religious giving of the time actually equaled about 25% of their gross earnings, uh, their gross income, sorry, before taxes. Biblical tithing, really, if you want to really look at the picture, is about a quarter of our earnings. But a better way to look at this, a better way to work out our giving, is to realize that God doesn't want 10%. God doesn't want 25%. There is no percent. He wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants our whole beings. And he doesn't want us to worship money. He wants us to use it generously because he has been generous to us. So in sorting how much to give, my view, my own personal view here, is that tithing is not actually wrong. It's not technically wrong. But it only really works if we're also keeping all of the principles that we're exploring here this afternoon. But then again, if we're starting with these principles, well, then really is there's less need to tithe. If you want to tithe, I think it's a starting point, and we bring all of this in, okay? But Jesus tells us there's a better way to measure giving. 
And a great way to hear about this from him is a story in Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's not the amount that we put in. The tiniest amount is like gold when it comes from the heart and a love for Jesus and a love for his church. For some of us, the amount that we can give will be tiny. And you know what? That is perfectly okay. But for some of us, others, it can and should be much bigger. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says that the acceptable gift is according to what one has. So how do we practically sort our giving then? I mean, if it's all from the heart, do we just randomly make it up each week as we go along? Is, is it wrong to budget? Well, no, it's fine. It's perfectly fine to think through this carefully. That's wisdom. Uh, what I'm saying is that giving goes deeper than calculations. It's okay to weigh up giving against our earnings and our expenses and our family and other responsibilities. In fact, I think we should do that. We have to weigh up all the things God has asked us to be responsible for. But giving should not be factored in last as an optional extra. It shouldn't be the least dollar figure that we can get away with. We should be in the habit of re-examining our giving as our circumstances change. And in today's increasingly cashless world, that's going to mean planning ahead as well. You know, setting up some sort of electronic giving. And we also need to be sure that we're generous in light of the actual needs of the church. Now, I mentioned this last one, this last phrase here, because that's something that's often overlooked. And I've seen this across multiple churches across many years. And it's not uncommon that people take a small token amount and that's what they put in the plate and they never think about it again. They just don't reevaluate that. Uh, I know of people who've been keeping giving the same amount for 10 or 20 years. Even though we don't sort any other finances in our life the same way. I mean, just as the cost of living goes up, wages and utilities and the price of petrol and food, so does the cost of running a church. Just ask anyone here who's on the committee of management. To pick a very small example, $5 could do an awful lot more 20 years ago than it can do today. But now when I walk down the street to the little kiosk there to get my coffee a couple of times a week, my large coffee is $4.30. $5 doesn't get anyone very far in anything these days. So our generosity then, it must not be uninformed. It must not be random or calculated by the world standards of a generation back. It must look at all the factors, including both what we have and what the actual needs are. And this then must lead to giving from the heart, convicted and cheerful where we are able. Finally, we come to the last principle. How do we give? Well, we give knowing that God is a gracious provider. That God is a gracious provider. Look with me, please, at the very last verse of our reading, chapter 9, verse 8. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is the creator and the provider. If every good thing that we have comes from him, then if we're generous with what he has blessed us with, he's able to bless us with more so that we have what we need. It's a simple principle, really. The idea is that we don't need to be tight-fisted because God is open-handed. Look, I've seen this in my own life. Before I came to Australia for Bible college, I literally had to decide, do I trust God in this or not? When I arrived here in 2002, I literally had only a backpack of clothes, I had a guitar, I had a carry-on bag, and I had enough money for only one semester of Bible college. That's it. That's all I had. But I saw God give generously and provide generously in the most amazing ways. All of the money came in, came through, to get me through six years of Bible college. Some of it from people in this very church. Some of us in this, in this service here tonight, by the way, I will say. It wasn't always easy. But God kept confirming, keep going my way. I am in, I'm in control. I've got you. Just keep moving ahead and do what's right. God says to go forward and honor him in all that we do, and he will take care of the rest. We need to remember this in our churches. God may allow us to go through challenging and hard times, but he still loves us, he's committed to us, and he's not going to turn away from us. And as we commit to doing his work, even when it's costly, he will give us what we need to keep going. We must give remembering the character of God, that he is a gracious provider, the God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, gave him up in great love for us, so he can pour out that same grace at all times for every good work. So friends, let's bring this together. How do we give? We give as if we have opportunities, not obstacles. We give remembering that the Lord Jesus has given us so much in dying for us, and the church was bought with his blood. We give with a view to equality, that what goes around comes around. We give not mainly based on tithes and dollar amounts, but on simple generosity according to our means and according to our heart. And we give remembering the grace and provision of our glorious God. May we all bring honor to him in how we approach our giving and our generosity. Pray with me, please. Our great Father, we thank you that in your wisdom, in your goodness, in your kindness to us, Lord, you've recorded this story from the early church for us to learn from. Father, we live in a world that is so complex when it comes to money, and it seems like it's not getting any easier. So we ask very simply, transform our hearts so that we see your love and abundance and provision, that you'll give us a love for you and a love for your people and your church, that you'll help us to be open-handed and ready to give in ways that please and honor you and reflect your kingdom. Lord, we ask, please, that you will do this great work in us so that we can honor you with the things you've entrusted us with. Thank you for the many generous people who make up this family here at Epping Presbyterian Church. We ask that we will be marked by this generosity, and in turn, many will be blessed, Lord, in ways that bring you honor. And praying this in Jesus' great name. Amen.